Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 211 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Jordan Thomas of Question about their horror adventure game, The Blackout Club. But before we delve into that, let's talk about Kane and Rince and the other podcast it has under its glorious umbrella. First, we have Kane and Rince itself, which is a podcast dedicated to a particular game and talked about with people who have finished it. I know, that's so strange. But it's true. The latest episode, the time of release of this particular episode of The Sausage Factory, has Final Fantasy VII under the microscope. There's a game no one's heard of. Bit of an obscure title. Then we have A Sound of Play. It's an awesome podcast where the music of the games we play is given centre stage and celebrated for a good hour or so. And that's released on a Wednesday. And Kane and Rince, by the way, is released on a Monday. And The Sausage Factory, which you listen to now, is released on a Friday. So, you know, it's a nice trio of, of podcasts for you. Now, you can find out more about the podcasts that I've just mentioned. You can get archives. You can also engage in an active forum, of all things. I know. At com. Just go to com. Three words. And... Uh, yeah, just dive in and be part of the community there. It's fantastic. And if you really, really love what we produce, then you can actually become a Patreon. Just by donating $1 a month, you will get exclusive content over and above what is released outside of those who subscribed to Patreon. So you get extended versions of Kane and Rince. So, um, for example, in Final Fantasy VII, that's a limited seven-hour podcast. So... <laughs> No, not seven hours. That's not true. No, sorry, two hours. But the extended version, the full version, is actually three hours. Hey, so a bit of bargain content for you. That's for one dollar a month. That's about seventy-three pence currently. So, uh, without further ado, let's move on to the main feature. Jordan, who are you, and what do you do? Uh, well, I'm Jordan Thomas. I work at a small company called Question. We made a game called The Magic Circle, uh, which was a kind of about game development. And our new game is The Blackout Club. I serve as sort of a design director and uh, lead writer, but um, the structure is very flat. My colleagues are all veterans, and uh, so there's not really a formal hierarchy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's basically a meeting of minds. That's got quite an interesting structure. There. I'd like to think, absolutely. Yeah, that's probably about. It's all about you know not not too much. Uh, you do as I say because I just said so. Actually, you do do as I say because I've got a really good idea, and I have to then sort of set it. <laughs> exactly. I mean the the. I sort of think of it as um, uh, certain special forces uh, arrangements are like this, where it's like, you know, you get people, specialists into a small group and uh, you sort of give them the overall mission, but they have to improvise a lot. And, you know, metaphor of conflict gets abused a lot in video games. So I promise I won't use it again. I don't want to be tedious, but 
Um, it, the kind of people who we have on the team are very good at operating without a lot of dictation, frankly. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's been, it's been liberating to, to let structure go. Yeah. And it's also, it's both, it can be a challenge because you're, you know, you've been brought up and conditioned to work in that way. So to, 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 to alter that might be quite jarring to some. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, you know, as a, a young white straight male, uh, I had protagonist syndrome from an early age. Right. And so I used to arrange my fellow kids into, into putting together little animated movies and stuff like that. And, uh, so when, when I got my first job as a director, it felt like coming home, right? Like this is what I was destined to do. But I saw over the course of working that way, all the problems associated with it and the sort of resentments that build up and, and wanted to head a different direction by the time it was over. I think it's about ownership. When you have that kind of flat thing, everyone has ownership of what they're doing. Whereas the other way, it's like, well, I'm only doing this because I want to piss them off. I mean, that's not yes. really motivation, is it? That's just, you know, what, what's that about? Rather than actually yeah. being invested in what you're making. Not that I'm saying that people who make video games aren't invested in what they're making, but there's going to be some people who, who sit there for weeks on end making plant pots for some, you know, from shop in uh, an Assassin's Creed, which the player will then proceed to smash. Uh, <laughs> so, and, you know, it's, 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 you know, we have someone like that, and then everything up to, I say up to, across, I should say, to that uh, polymath, that person who can do all of the things. I've interviewed a fair few of them, they're extraordinary people, where they just like do all of the things, and, uh, but they have to motivate themselves as well somehow and without question yeah the yeah. closest to that that we have on the team is probably david Pittman, who did eldritch um he, he would not describe himself as an artist but artist but he is good at many many things besides uh and so we're, we're lucky to have him so we've already delved a little bit about your past but i want to go into really how did you make your start making video games you can go as far well, back I, as you like certainly yeah so uh i I got a job working for a um, a local college uh, sort of technical support, and uh, this was when I was 15. Mm. And I managed to con several 30-year-old uh, artists and programmers into helping me build what was basically a prototype for something like D&D Beyond or Fantasy Grounds. The idea was to take tabletop play and build like a set of tools that you could use to speed up um, the experience at the table. And it flamed out spectacularly, right, uh, because I was 15. Um, But I kind of got a taste for – I knew I wanted to do it from then on. I I abandoned the idea of going into movies and and realized that video games were my thing. And so – Years later, um, I was picked up by the Adrenaline Vault, a journalism outfit, kind of shady, to be honest, in various ways. But I met wonderful people there like uh, Pete Hines, who's now at Bethesda, Emil Pagliarulo, who is also there. Um, they were my, my editors and my, my colleagues, and they sort of taught me to uh, take – use fewer words and hopefully more accurately. Um, and uh, – Emil was scooped up by a looking glass and eventually helped me uh, get my resume across the table of Randy Smith once uh, Thief 3 was underway at Ionstorm Austin. And um, in the meantime, um, I had applied once, didn't get the gig. I think I was very overconfident from some time spent at Microsoft, not in games. Um, And uh, then applied again after I shipped a Harry Potter game for the PC uh, in six months. 
Um, so I learned Unreal in a sort of pressure cooker environment. Um, and 9-11, uh, weirdly, happy, happened during that time. And I just sort of went back to my desk and kept working um, because that was the sort of narrow creature that I was. Um, and after that, um, I had enough in my portfolio to get the job on, on Thief Deadly Shadows, a.k.a. Thief 3. Um, long story short, I built a very spooky level called the Shellbridge Cradle inside it, um, about which a 10-page feature was written in PC Gamer. And um, some of that notoriety helped catapult me into a, a lead design role uh, by the time that project shipped. Um, small stint with startups. Um, I met Kane Shin for real. Um, he had been on the Thief 3 team, but he's a co-owner, by the way, of Question. Spoiler alert. Uh, and... Uh, we knew that we liked to work with one another during this this sort of startup period that didn't really go anywhere. And then I ended up on the Bioshock team uh, as a contractor. I did a level call, called Fort Frolic for, for Bioshock. It was about a crazy artist who sort of takes you captive. And uh, I wanted to kind of beat my own record, uh, for lack of a better term. So I stayed up all night uh, constantly and um, built this this all-singing, all-dancing, ridiculous um, sort of, uh, shooter level as a uh, snuff film, um, and, uh, mixed with Broadway flair. Right. Uh, and when that was concluded, I sort of stood up from my desk and said, it is done and realized that I was becoming a parody of the, the character from the game because it was like, there was nobody in the entire studio at the time. And it was just so sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, um, uh, do you, yeah, just to cut it, do you think you're, yeah, yeah. do you think you're a frustrated architect? I mean, because architects, um, architects sculpt space. That's what they do. I mean, did you ever consider that as a profession? I Maybe frustrated museum curator or something. I, I certainly enjoy architecture, but only as the means to an end. I, oh, like, I, I have right, almost right. no interest in solving engineering problems for their own sake. It's always the fantasy first. It's always what story am I telling? What experience am I offering? You know, I, I would okay. I would absolutely be the kind of film guy that would get in and help build the sets, but only because I wanted a particular shot a particular way. But it, but it um, wasn't about the space, the creation of space, because that's when I think of a level design, I think, oh, they're the people really good at level, you know, creating spatial um, areas. But no, Chris, I've got this wrong. It's like it's, there's two different ways of looking at it. What I've just well, said. remember that the industry has changed. Um, uh, apologies to, to interrupt there, but no, but no, it, no, it, it, it has like the answer to this question actually has evolved over time. Right. There was a time when level designers absolutely did uh, the layout and also the um, sort of scripting uh, and the encounters and, and the lighting and all of these things. It was a single crystallized package of responsibilities um, dumped on one person. That is no longer the case. You know, it, it has it has splintered into level artists or architects, and and then modelers, which are, who are separate from them, and then scripters, which are are uh, their own discipline, which are much closer to programmers. So at the time, as a person who dabbled, um, I would say very successfully, um, I was able to to synthesize something that felt very unified out of relatively primitive technology, right, um, in the era of Thief, Deadly Shadows, and and even even frankly, uh, Bioshock One. But as the tools have become more complicated and as uh, specialists have become more and more like these sort of incredible guitar soloists that I will never match, um, it was a good time for me to move into leadership. And uh, it, has, it has been hard, frankly, coming back to having to do more hands-on work uh, in an independent environment. Um, but in any case, in answer to your question, I, I do adore architecture and I enjoy using it to kind of bound the theme of a level, right, to mm -hmm. tell some kind of uh, – or make – not. 
so much a statement, but ask an interesting question with a space. Um, and that sounds very highfalutin, but that, that, that is how I thought at the time. Um, and, uh, but it, but again, it, it's not like, I don't, I don't, I didn't sit there and read great books on architecture. I would, I would, re I would research the Kirkbride buildings, for example, that my asylum was based on. And I would deep dive on that, but only insofar as it served this one particular video game level that I wanted to achieve. I, you know, I, I, I've always wished I had the, the bone in my body that, that makes, that would make research feel more natural, but it's not, it is, it is very much something that I have to just power through. Um, hope that <laughs> somewhat addresses what you're asking. No, 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 no. I think it brings, brings up today as well. It's a extraordinary career you've had. And it's uh, interesting that I mean, like me, I, I also like my pen and paper RPGs and I recently ran the new edition of Warhammer. Fantasy role. Oh yeah, and uh, they fixed that, my friend. Oh, have they fixed that? Oh, so well, I've never gotten occasion to play. I, I'm very curious about it, and many of my friends, particularly from the UK, actually, yeah. um, have, have uh, sort of extolled its virtues. But I have not personally gotten to participate. I, I would always uh, love to try. It just uh, haven't had the occasion. Nobody around here seems to run it. No, it's uh, it's basically very it's akin to Blackout Club in many regards. In that you're just a regular person. You're not. You know, superhero, just like, eh, yeah, if you get hit, it's going to be really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's dead on. So it's uh, it's lovely. It's uh, it's really refresh refreshing. And you can lose limbs as well, which is an interesting phenomena at any anyway, yeah, I've all, yeah i've always enjoyed that kind of stuff i mean i, I know it's not for everyone but no, but no. on occasion uh, it's yeah. it's it's the cocktail that one one needs <clears throat> so again i think you might have answered this before but i'm going to ask you to represent your studio when i was answering this question rather than yourself maybe it's up to you but uh and it's it's another nebulous question uh so bear with me but what do you believe is question's biggest influence Generally, what is the thing that they find you'll find yourself orbiting more than anything? What's this the kernel that you, Do you mean in terms of a product or more of a philosophy? Um, your creation as, a, as creators, you're obviously influenced by something. Can you put a word or a phrase to that? What that would be? Yeah, um, I guess, I guess, uh respect for the negative space in every composition. Um, and then that may sound artsy, but it is very important to me. Um, one of the things that I, I that sort of, I would be moan about the, the dawn of CGI is that almost every monster, every uh, robot, every um, alien race is detailed in triplicate on screen and is immediately made more depressing for it. Um, the, no, almost nothing is left to the imagination. Spielberg famously said that he would have shown more of the shark if he could, which would have ruined Jaws. Um, Question is very interested in mystery and atmosphere and in allowing the player's mind to be a major uh, compositional element that, that a lot of uh, our worlds require you to um, draw conclusions uh, that are utterly your own and out of disparate elements, um, leaving something unsaid. Uh, and it, it is, um, it's, you know, when you work in games, people are constantly saying, but this doesn't make sense. You should, you should explain this. Where is the audio log or the text file that explains exactly how a leads to Z and, and, 
uh, we just rebel against that. Um, uh, I think that the Bioshock series was at its best by far when it was leaving more to mystery. And uh, as as it got progressively more excited by explanatory space magic. And by the way, I was guilty of some of this myself, so I'm not pointing fingers per se. Um, it became less exciting. It became uh, less sort of artful. Um, and so I, I, with our games, um, that sense that around the next corner, the great answer must lurk. Um, but by the time you get there, you see only a sort of tentacle receding <laughs> into the mist. Um, that, that I think is, is what, uh, unifies us, uh, at least from the point of view of as artists, uh, I could probably give you an entirely other answer about, you know, our, our game design principles, but, um, I think we share those with a lot of other studios and therefore maybe it's less interesting. I'd like to venture something else that might help illustrate what you've just described to the audience, if I may, is um, it's something I've, I find fascinating with um, certainly the more complex soldier sims like Armour and indeed uh, um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds in that you're walking along with a patrol or walking along with someone and you see movement. Now, the thing about those games is that if you see a muzzle flash, it's probably dead. You know, it's it's the accuracy of the weapons is ridiculous as they are currently. They So you are constantly on fight or flight. You're constantly on alert. So any, anything, that you, you, your mind starts to play tricks on you. And the really good designers and developers know this. They know that uh, the human mind is both its um, uh, a, a, a boon and its, 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 its bane, really, <laughs> because it can actually create monsters which aren't there. And the uh, amount of times I'm playing with uh, or PUBG historically or, or a game like that and with someone else and like, oh, movement, no, that's all right, just push. <laughs> and that's very similar to what you described. Would you not agree? Oh, I absolutely would. Um, you know, that, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it exactly right, but that paraidola or faces in clouds, the, the tendency to attribute shape and meaning to yep. otherwise random or fractal data is a really important part of human consciousness. Um, yep. It's why police reports are so frequently r ridiculously inaccurate when they ask a witness what they saw and they say things that definitely weren't there. Um, and yeah, we, it's our, it's our bread and butter. It's our bread and butter, you know, the, yeah. to, to capitalize on that for the purpose of dread. It's what can't be seen. I mean, that's the thing about alien, the first one and the thing as well. Uh, I like to, I don't know why, but they were kind of made at the same era and I kind of, they're, they're, they're very similar in that. It's not what, what you can't see. Eventually you do see it, but then that's the way it gets a bit comical because you realise it's a bloke in a plastic suit. But, right. <laughs> you know, after, you know, it's before that. It's the dread of, the, you know, the egg and the movement inside. And it's all. Yeah, it's what you know. Jung was going on about, right? That, that you know, you have these archetypal um, sort of shadow figures in your head, uh, these, these mythic. Um, kind of constants that go back to the beginning of time that even cavemen were afraid of the same basic things. Yes. And uh, the more that you can imply that that thing that is currently breaking into your house right now comes from that ancient evil source, 
uh, without pinning it down um, too too quickly or too specifically, um, the more people you're going to scare. And, you know, there's a fine line, right? Because at the other end of the spectrum, you have something like Lost, which was famously reviled for explaining everything poorly at the end, right? Holding the, the what's inside the mystery box question till the very, very end and then, you know, creating a, a kind of disappointing answer. Um, <laughs> but I would argue that cosmic horror sort of relies on the fact that the protagonists are incapable of parsing the answer in full. And so while you need to have an internal schema for your world to make sense and be enjoyable to tour, um, that resisting the urge to explain for its own sake is very important to horror and, and, uh, happily dovetails with the goals of the blackout club. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a wonderful thing to, to latch onto. And, uh, that's precisely what answer. I mean, I have all sorts of answers, everything from that to my pet dog. Okay. And then describing why, uh, and it's wonderful to, to, to hear that creatives are anchored around a particular concept. And that's, that's a laudable one. So well done for that. So my next question uh, is also maybe a difficult answer because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, oh, that's a that's a that's a great one. Um, and yeah, difficult not because I'm afraid of hurting anybody's feelings, but um, you know, I I, I suppose. Um, the automatic answer, the one that came first to mind, uh, is Will Wright. And there's a very specific reason for this, which is that, um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, he was one of a handful of names that was synonymous with the, the auteur theory of video game development, which I used to, uh, kind of worship. And, as time went on, one by one, those other names fell away as I learned the truth of what they were really like to work with and um, the various unsung heroes on their teams and uh, the the sort of um, just creative hubris that was associated with that method. But with Will Wright, um, the stories just got better. They said that he would empower smart people. He would ask important questions and allow those smart people to conclude um, the best course of action. And while he was still a important and driving force in all of his games, uh, he didn't do so at the expense of the, the talent on his team. And that is incredibly difficult to do when you become fatigued, when you have limited resources, limited time. Um, it's very easy to start taking ethical and uh, interpersonal shortcuts. And from what I understand, that is, that is not true of Will Wright. So, um, I, he keeps coming up when I think of how I want to be to work with, um, not necessarily, um, frankly, as, as sort of brilliant an engineering mind, because there's no way that's happening. My talents are <laughs> somewhere on another spectrum. Uh, but just that, that philosophy, um, means a lot to me. Yeah. I think you were hinting earlier that other people sort of fallen away. You realized that they were standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, but you yes. didn't know who the giants were. Yes. Uh, it's a very strange phrase until you actually break it down and go, oh, that's what that means. Yes, that's what that means. And uh, yep. you have to be mindful of that. You have to recognize that we all do it to a certain degree, uh, especially depending on where you are in your career and that sort of thing. You eventually find yourself doing it and you realize, wait, I have to recognize that and then recognize the people who are doing the actual work rather than me navigating it and bringing it all together although what i'm doing is very important what they're doing is just as important because they would have nothing to manage uh, yep. you know and it's really you know it's an odd phrase and you think well what do you mean by that oh now i get it you know people use these phrases all, all the time and not really understand their true meaning but that one 
That one, I think, especially now, now more than ever in video game industry, um, and certain even medium-sized teams, there's definitely a case for that, where a lot of people, producers and directors, are definitely doing that, and they need to. And they, for the most part, they are. They do everything they can to recognise the the people they're working with. Uh, to yeah, and to happen. Oh yes, sorry. Yeah, exactly right. Um, uh, and to extend the metaphor a little bit, um, many of those giants are underwater. Um, public attention is sort of like the sea level in in that world that you're describing, where only a few people's heads actually poke above it and uh, become recognized for the efforts. Uh, and and moreover, in in game development in particular, so many of us are introverts. That if you are able to speak to press or to influencers or whatever in a way that feels natural and that other people would want to watch, um, you tend to get more credit for the work, even if you don't actively t- try to take it. Um, and so we we have a two forces, uh, one of which is just the amount of overwhelming work that needs to get done um, and the size of the team, as you're describing. But then secondarily, just personality types. Um, some people are are much better suited for for. Um, public attention than others, and uh, they get credited unduly. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of the reasons I designed the show in a way that it's less intrusive. I'm sitting here in my office, you're sitting in yours, and it's just you know it's very relaxing. We don't, you know, it's in your own space. You you have control, and we, it's just it sounds a bit strange, but it's not this artificial sort of constructs, but it helps. And that's you know we're having conversations about things that you're familiar with. So these questions aren't difficult or, you know, uh, uncomfortable. They're just, it's, it's a good to thrash out this stuff. And, exactly. Um, that's why I get all sorts of guests and from varying degrees of introvertedness, which I know is, is very, is, is exhausting because the amount of energy one has to conjure up to interact with someone they don't know is very, very great. Exactly right, yeah. and uh, often in, invisibly and thankless. You yes. know the, the the debt that they're incurring by doing so. Yeah, I, and to bring it back to tabletop, that's that's one of the reasons I run D and D online, is because there are certain people I know who feel much more comfortable, uh, you know, sitting in their home with a camera than uh, than sitting in an environment where they feel like they have to escape. <laughs> Indeed, whereas I actually personally do face to face a lot because I live in a very very large city and the catchment area is vast. So the the role playing clubs are extremely numerous. <laughs> so it's very easy for me to have face to face like role playing groups. It's just like oh, that's what we do. So um, online is something I generally don't do because of that. Not because I don't like the technology or anything. It's just like well, no, I can just go down the road. Why would I do it online? Like, yeah, that makes sense. I can have dice and throw them at them and go shut up. Um, and I host it in my home too but as an excellent answer uh, and uh, I'm going to have one 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 sort of one last question before we move on to the second half so well done you've made it Uh, (laughs) outstanding it's well done Um, if only you could see me sweat (laughs) what are you playing right now oh uh, well a combination of of games um Darkest Dungeon, uh, I will probably never stop playing, um, kind of ongoing right now with with my son, uh, because uh, the art is just dark enough. It doesn't scare him generally. Uh, he calls it the torch game, and it's important to him that, that we occasion- when a new uh, DLC comes out for it, we tend to crack it open together. But then more recently, the 
truly bizarre um, but labor of love uh, that is Pathfinder Kingmaker. Um, I, I'm currently battling my way through the end of that, and uh, it is it is brutal. Um, sea of Thieves uh, is a you know co-op game I'm playing with uh, the co-owners of the company, and uh, we had just finished up Vermintide Two. Um, Really trying to play a lot more multiplayer games uh, with my wife, uh, a fair amount of Destiny 2, but that's that has cooled um, and she moved on to single player stuff. So it's a cross section. Um, a lot of us at the studio are playing Obra Dinn, but I have I have not uh, yet uh, been able to, to <laughs> delve into the mysteries. Well, excellent collection there. Um, for me, it's everything from threes because well, it's threes. And <laughs> right over to, I've actually just dropped into Below because that came out on the Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. I played that at PAX West as well. I was like, yeah, well done. Finally did it. Well done. Well done, Capybara. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. But yeah, that and I'm on, on my pen and paper RPG, I just finished the Starfighter campaign. So yay, that went on for about. Uh, 14 months yeah wonderful yeah. well yes pen and paper i could tell like i have whole different answers i'm in two two campaigns yeah. one run by harvey smith of uh of the iron storm days and who's been a, a dear friend ever since and, and one run by will armstrong who i worked on bioshock 2 with and it is a sci-fi total conversion of D 5 wow no it's yeah it's so, cool yeah because the starfinder which is pathfinder only in space um, which is great, but it does mean it's got it's rather crunchy. You know, there's there's some like okay, you want to throw a grenade? Hang on, what's it say? Uh, page. <laughs> oh, it's bouncing. Exactly. Okay, hang on. Uh, I think exactly. Add, I think you add four to that. Do I? Hang on. Are you? No. <laughs> I think he's in cover. That's minus two. Oh God. Yeah, it <laughs> becomes slightly Python where you imagine the the actual modeling of this, where where like there's a person whose limb has been blown off, and people are standing around going like, "Wait, what does this mean to us?" <laughs> is, there's a famous game. I'm sure. You, I hope you've heard of it. There's a game called Mornington Crescent. Do you know this game? Um, uh, sorry. What what is it? Mornington Crescent. No. No, look it up. It's a wonderful party game. Highly recommend it for creatives like yourself. Okay. Basically, uh, English listeners or British listeners will know what it is. Uh, it's basically a game has no rules, but that's the joke. So you just make up rules as you go along, and it starts with the map of the London Underground, and you have to get to Mornington Crescent, the station. Oh, okay. Somehow. And you just say, oh, I'm going to start at my home station. Hang on, are we playing ancient modern rules? Yes. Well, you can't start there, can you? It's just you challenge them on their rules, which don't exist. That's the lovely part. It's just a joke. Everyone's in on the. Everyone has to be in on the joke. But it's just that like, is adorable. <laughs> in the states, we would call that Calvin Ball takes England. Exactly. It's basically. Wait, there's no rules. Don't 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 say it. Who said that? Who said that? But yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, the, I, I worked on uh, as a consultant on both of the South Park RPGs, and we constantly talked about that. That when you're a kid, you're revising the rules in real time, and we have a bunch of jokes that only work because you know the kids can switch out their, the rules of their reality in an instant. Exactly. So look it up. It's a very, very, very famous radio show from on the BBC Radio Four, and they did this for years and years. I do it for years and years, and it's just absurd. These grown men and women sitting there going. Can he do that? 
<laughs> Sounds like it's right up my alley. Like, I'm now going west to Upton Park. Can you do that? <laughs> what? Well, you you were at, you know, Mile End last turn. Well. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and in the magic circle, we have a joke where, uh, the, because there's no crouch feature in the game, because we couldn't make it meaningful to the type of simulation we were doing, we, yeah. we wrote in this joke where the, the, the creative director of the whole studio says, cut the crouch feature. And why? Because players in a cutscene were teabagging God. <laughs> so, like, they cut crouch so that you wouldn't see players do that in the middle of the cutscene. No, no, indeed. Well, on that interesting note, Yes, yeah, you can can go ahead and jettison that one if you want. (laughs) No, 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 I'm sure the audience will love that for the new year. Um, Let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into the Blackout Club. All right. So, first question, regular listeners will know, isn't a question, it's a request. That's why it's called the zeroth question. Good, this an Asimov reference. Please tell, right. please tell us what is the Blackout Club. Ah, the Blackout Club is a four-player, uh, cooperative, uh, modern first-person game centered around a group of teenagers who discover that there is a monstrous secret at the heart of their hometown. Um, their parents and teachers are all sleepwalking and uh, conspiring to build some massive underground structure. Um, the kids themselves experience blackouts and um, they found themselves uh, in aid or rather in need of um, friends. And so they they lose um, the leader of the club quite early and decide to try and prove that these terrible things are happening. And so they they sneak underground together and they um, combine their rather scanty powers uh, in order to uh, outwit uh, these much sort of more physically intimidating foes uh, in the form of the adults. Um, And it is set in the National Radio Quiet Zone, a real place in the States where you can't get a cell signal. And in in Red Acre, we call it the Blackout Zone, uh, this fictional town of Red Acre that you can't even get internet access. And so the kids don't think that they can do the conventional thing you would do in a modern world, which is simply tell the world um, that... Uh, you know, please help us. They they have to prove this kind of by hand. And a lot of the gameplay comes out of their attempts to to get footage of what's happening and smuggle it out of town. That's that's in a nutshell. There's more, but we're going to delve into it more. Now, when I demoed it, the setting, I seem to remember you, you were saying you were setting in the early 2000s. Is that still the case? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the dawn of the smartphone is important um, in yeah. the very background deep lore. It's not it's not so much that uh, the kids themselves have sophisticated smartphones. They have kind of a, a bastardized version where the, the real brains of the smartphone have been taken out. Um, but uh, the villain cares a lot about what's about to happen to culture. And Why? Why did you set it in this very interesting period of our history, which most of us think only happened about five years ago? <laughs> well, it's um, a lot of it is spoiler laden. But yes, uh, uh, exactly. Um, the best way I can put it is that the people, the conspirators in the town are interested in the purity of information. And uh, there's a reason they move to a place where signal speed is so slow. 
Um, they're, they're very interested in making sure that the, the, the message, capital M, is not decayed by uh, what, what happens when you log on to Twitter and watch somebody say something true and then see what happens to it seven days later. Uh, yes, yes. So um, that is the main reason why it's set there. Um, also, on a much more practical level, right, when we were building the, the video game, we said, okay, well, we want these kids to to uh, exist in a world where their their parents and teachers are still alive, and uh, it's not just a completely dead world in the narrative, but that at night they're pretty much on their own, right? They have to solve problems in practical, physical ways, as opposed to just calling the police or calling the FBI uh, to come in and fix everything for them. And so there's a combination between story reasons and engineering reasons where we we wanted what we call an, a very strong edge metaphor, meaning the kids can't just leave the map uh, and uh, suddenly have all the problems solved for them. No, there's definitely a Stranger Things vibe going on. I'm not saying that's what you're aiming for, but Stranger Things in that no one believed the, the kids what was going on. Indeed, the authorities were actually enacting these things, so all the authoritative figures were helping the things that were going on to continue to happen. And it's very difficult for them to phone the National Guard and say, please stop this, that'd be great, thanks, bye. I mean, that's not much of a game or much of a plot. <laughs> you know, Indeed. It's, it's, it doesn't work. So um, there's there's lots of feeling of um, togetherness, of you're in this on your... they just got each other. Uh, it's, it's something we'll talk about later on if that is strictly true. Um, yeah, I mean that, that that's a major theme. Exactly right that they're they need to rely on their friendship and they're yeah, sort of yeah. stronger as a unit. And that can be strained, and that's the point. Um, and uh, but I want to talk about the viewing angle because that struck me as quite interesting. How it seems to be a little bit distorted and narrow. I found the peripheral vision blurred. Can you talk us through how you designed this and why this, how it came to be? Sure. Well, the default, we certainly um, think constantly about the economy of information. And so in horror and in first person, um, the desire to keep your field of view pretty constrained so that you have to rely on the fields of view of your friends and you become kind of like a beast with four eyes, right, um, was something that we considered. But there's also, um, you know, the practical quality of performance. Uh, so we picked our field of view somewhere between dread and frame rate. Uh, uh, however, we do offer the option to adjust it. Um, you can turn off motion blur, you can widen your field of view. So people who are very savvy about what they want their games to look like can always override our defaults. This is true, but uh, I found it, I, I respect the designer. So this is why I like to play games on normal, on the assumption that that's what the designer had in mind as a default state right experience um it's not always the way actually it turns out many games go actually you should really play it on hard because that's when it becomes like doom for example it becomes a puzzle game trust me it's weird but <laughs> on, on harder <laughs> setting it becomes a very strange puzzle game um right. yeah it's quite extraordinary i've seen it happen like wait this is very strange yes you have very limited ammunition very limited avenues to do things and uh it becomes much it becomes a completely different game the whole new game plus thing even existed way back oh then. exactly right yeah uh, and you were asking about influences you know i, I would say that a, a very important entry in the history of the blackout club is 
um, me playing through the System Shock 2 co-op patch that came out after the main release with my best friend um, back in the, I think, very late 90s. Mm. And, um, or possibly, yeah, very late 90s, maybe 99. Um, and uh, just being changed by the experience, that, that notion of solving an environmental puzzle that had many solutions, many right answers. Um, you know, another major uh, sort of creative stake that we've plunged into the ground at question is the idea that that we don't build scenarios to which there's only one solution that the developers wanted. Um, it's very important that you're kind of able to weave your own out of the, the kind of different threads that are active in our worlds. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this kind of leads me on to our next question. And uh, I've got one sentence in front of me, but I'm, I need to build it up around it so that the audience and yourself can understand where I'm coming from, why I'm saying, asking this question. There's a main villain, for whatever a better phrase, creature, being, the stranger, uh, who can only be seen when you, when the, you as a player close your eyes, oddly enough, and you can see traces of their movement and there's sort of doors that they can go through and you have to escape him, typically, uh, and if you're not quick enough, you it, it can end, end badly for you when he catches up with you because... He knows those who can see and those who are actually under his bidding. Uh, he's, then he's looking out for those who can see, so to speak, who know what's going on. Um, later on in the game, I found myself almost drifting into complacency because, oh, I know, I've got this. I know, what the, I know what the boundary conditions are now. I know what I can and can't do. How do you ensure the player doesn't do that? Well, with long exposure, the answer is we don't. Um, as long as it is controlled by an AI, there will be players who manage to work out um, how to juke it, how to exploit it, um, or at the very least, how to avoid it, right? Mm. Um, its threat is always there physically, but the kids are agile and clever, and if they work together or if they are um, particularly observant, there is always a way to escape the boogeyman, and that's that's by design. We don't we don't build jump scare games. We don't build scripted scare games. And we try very hard not to ambush you with anything that you couldn't have seen coming because it just feels like f fair play, right? Mm. Um, uh, and so, however, um, part of what you're talking about is a function of the game being in early access. We've actually, in the coming update, uh, we've made some changes uh, that are intended to address that. Uh, as you gain in uh, both character level and player skill, um, the shape uh, or the angel, as it's, it's variously called, uh, evolves with you. Um, but uh, that's about as much as I can uh, reveal without ruining <laughs> the surprise of yeah, when it changes. These questions would be very hard for me to compose for fear of spoiling things because that's the, the beauty of, uh, of games like the Backup Club is, is that it's what you can't see and building your own stories and experiencing and seeing things go from A to F via B. <laughs> that's that's exactly. what I've found with this game is that it's all about the emotion gameplay and reacting to to what you've created. What you I was going to use the word setup, but that's demeaning to what you've designed. So I think what trigger points or what things you've actually created this world you've created for for people to share and uh, and be, be be screaming at. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it's it's sort of a, a garden of dark delights, right? Like we we uh, we say, okay, wander where you will, um, but we've planted things <laughs> yeah, here yeah. here and there. Oh, you can go off piste if you like, but this is going to happen. Oh, yeah, that hurts. It did, didn't it? Yeah, don't do that. And that's, exactly. that's what I'm talking about. Complacency is <laughs> like, oh, you went that way. Bees, bees. Yeah. Bees, bees. <laughs> yeah. So, last question. I know all good things must come to an end, but there it is. There's a kind of a, uh, a traitor mechanic, isn't there? In that, um, can you take us through how that works and how it's balanced in the game, if you can? Yeah, um, and this is. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very careful about um, the tail end of this answer, but but uh, there is. Um, we have just begun to introduce a uh, mode called Stalker, where uh, a kid who decides to begin working for the villain can become a kind of laser guidance system for the boogeyman um, begins to record the, the, the cooperative players um, surreptitiously and provide a location to the angel, uh, which then hunts them down. Um, and that is currently only, uh, only the developers and a select group uh, are able to access that mode, but it's, it's, we've already been doing so. And uh, exactly how you activate it, I'm not going to reveal because that, that is definitely something that we want people to puzzle out. Um, but uh, it's a very different feeling to some of our competitors in the horror sphere. Um, typically what happens with asymmetric PvP is you have one very powerful monster or killer uh, that is hunting down these disempowered survivors. In this case, it's disempowered and even less empowered, right? Because this one kid with only a kid's resources is acting against the four friends or up to four friends. And uh, so it can be even more pulse pounding in some ways than the main game because you have nobody watching your back. Uh, but on the plus side, you can use the spooky red doors, which connect space in a way that the main kids can't access. And um, you feel a little bit like a predator in the shadows. Uh, and so, yes, um, th this mode is coming online. It is something that's taking a long time to get right because the core of the Blackout Club will remain cooperative. Um, this is something that's just going to add, we hope, some spice. Yeah, um, and it reminds me a lot of some of my most entertaining um, role-playing sessions where one player... He's been passed a note saying, oh, you've been possessed. Oh, man. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> really? Sorry. You didn't, you, you didn't roll your save, did you? No. Well, there it is. <laughs> yep. And yeah. Can I, uh, can I Carla Zimone. No. Sorry. Carla Zimonja from uh, who worked on Gone Home and who's a good friend of mine from the Bioshock Two Days. I had her as a secret vampire in our our campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's always fun. But uh, generally, my my games now I have to say are are open because they're more it's fun that way because the other players can 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 play on the fact that they know the secret, but then they don't. They, they can they can meta game. It's quite it, within a controlled environment. It's fascinating to see that happen. Um, Definitely, players are honest. I'm not really good with secrets between players because I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Good. And to bring I, it back to friendship, like you, you were talking about strain. You yeah, know, the, the that's, that's these what, stories are almost yes. always about growing up, right? That yes. that there is a metaphor for the loss of innocence that is externalized as a monster of some kind, yeah. and yeah. oftentimes those stress fractures show in individual relationships between the kids. Um, and we, we want to model that in a way that feels meaningful to a game, uh, which is that you can be playing 
cooperatively, but in the hopes of spending more time as the trader, a little bit of a double agent. Um, and it, it is, uh, it's, it's creepy. It makes you feel creepy. And, and, uh, for a certain type of player, that's going to hold a lot of appeal. Yes. And the whole strange thing is, is my alluding to my last question really is just that there's, you think everyone's on your side and see, you see another kid like, is that one of you? Is that one of us? No. Is that you? Wait, who's that? And you see a little kid, yep. and you think, well, it's a little kid. It's got to be, you know, it's not an adult. It's got to be on our side, right? Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start, you know, it's like the thing. There you go. Make reference to the thing. It's like you start distrusting everyone to the point where you have to set fire to everything. Not that that's what, how <laughs> Blackout Club ends. And that's not a spoiler for the thing. You haven't seen it yet. Really? Really? Um, I think, you know, statute limitations on that film is long gone. Well, the, the thing the thing <laughs> yeah. ends on a question. And uh, yeah. that, I would say, brings us home because that is, that's what we're all about. Uh, that, yeah. that sort of <laughs> yeah. raised brow yeah, <laughs> and indeed. tense looks. So, The Blackout Club is out on early access right now. It's by question. It's currently on Windows PC uh, of our Steam. I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's a, uh, it's a very different experience to most multiplayer experiences. It is not, you know, uh, I could try and uh, allude it to other titles, but I can't. You know, I, I tried to think, oh, is this Left 4 Dead? No, not really, because Left 4 Dead is a comedic experience that happened to be quite gory and violent. Uh, this is not that. Um, this is more of a collaborative, mi- uh, uh, hive mind thing that you're sharing and uh, you're empowered by your lack of power. It's quite incredible what you created, but that's what my feeling was when I'm playing it with others and my myself is that you know you, you your your lack of power is actually a strength. It sounds a bit strange, but if you recognise that and know what to do with it and how to pull your resources, you become way more powerful than anything else they th- you throw at us. This is amazing. Oh well, that makes my tiny black heart <laughs> swell three sizes. <laughs> that's that's exactly what we're going for. Yeah, it's just like, wait, these are little kids. Thank yeah, you. Exactly, and it's like, what can they do that you can't? Run really fast, go into little shadows and hide and not breathe and do all sorts of amazing things that you can't do anymore because you're old and your back hurts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's stuff in the game that people haven't even discovered yet. There, there are things which are. Um, sort of uh, elusive and um, bound by a particular time. So if you've if you've played games that you know had a, a major beta phase that ended and then they moved to sort of full release, like there there are things that you'll never see again going on in the game right now. Um, so I definitely, if, you know, if you're if you're the kind of person who doesn't mind helping a game to be finished by feeding back on the um, the ways the mechanics feel and, and reporting bugs and all of that kind of stuff, if, you, if that's if that doesn't bother you and if you're listening to this podcast, it might not. Um, there are rewards for playing the Blackout Club now, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy early access thing. There's many games out there that come out early access because they just want additional funding. I'm not going to point any names. You and I know what they are. It's not that. This is a real, you want to help this game be a thing in 2019, then top on now because uh, you can actually manipulate and change things uh, within reason, of course. Um, exactly. No, no game should be made by committee because you don't know what happens there. No, it's 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 more just that they describe what they saw in that negative space we talked about, and we say, yeah. "Oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay, that's that we can we can use that." Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a tentacle monster. It was actually 
a kettle, but oh well, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So well, we're going to make it a spooky kettle. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan, it's been fantastic having you on. I, I do wish you and the rest of your team the very, very best of luck. And thank you very much uh, for, for being a great guest and actually making this extraordinary game. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for both for that and, and for having me. It's been a blast. Thank <laughs> you.